This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. You see, faith is not the lack of wisdom or preparation, but listen, faith does not depend on knowing the end result before it chooses to obey God. You can plan, you can prepare, you can build, you can use wisdom, but here's the thing. If you need to have all the answers before you say yes to God, you are going to miss out on something that God wants to do in your life. You put your faith in a lot of things in life that you can't see or control. Think about the last time you stopped at a red light in traffic. Suddenly that light turns green and you automatically put your faith in the technology that turns that light green and you put your faith in the drivers around you to stop at their red light. If we put our faith in a traffic light, shouldn't we put the same faith in God? Today, Pastor Josh is going to encourage you to step out in faith, believing in what God can do before He even does it. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 as he continues his message, Faith Declares Jesus is Better, part two. So Noah receives this warning from God, I'm gonna just destroy the earth, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flood it. And, and he can't really even fathom what that, um, what that looks like. He doesn't even understand it in the context of the physical world that he lived in and, the, and what he understood. So not only does he not get it fully, but the tasks he's asked to do, build a boat, <laughs> this large well, I need blueprints from God, obviously, because I don't, I don't know what a boat is. Where are we going to get the timber? How are we going to, it's going to take 50 plus years. How are we going to get the animal? I mean, all the questions of how, when, where, what, how, why. Noah was just a man, like us, human flesh. Yet what kept Noah on his mission? Being ridiculed? Being the outcast, being the one in the entire society of the world that was going against the flow, who was unique, who was different, who was preaching a message contrary to what the whole world was preaching. Five things. Don't let the number five scare you. They're quick. Notice this one verse gives us five characteristics of Noah's faith. And you guys, these are so relevant for us today. Number one, notice that he was warned of God's coming judgment. Number two, he was moved with godly fear. Number three, he prepared his family for salvation. Number four, he condemned the unbelieving world. And number five, he became an heir of righteousness through faith. And when we look at these five things, you and I have the same responsibility as Noah had. We too have been warned that one day God's judgment will come again. God said, I will judge the earth again. Not with water, but with Fire. The Bible's clear. The judgment of God on the wicked world, as it was in the days of Noah, will come again to the world. And I want to tell you what, 1.5 degrees Celsius global warming has nothing on the global warming that will occur when God's wrath consumes the entire universe and the elements will melt away with fervent heat. I do not believe the universe began with a big bang, but I know it's going to end with one. And it's going to be very cataclysmic Amen. in its intentions. 
Jesus warned us that he's returning as a judge, but he's also told us that there is an ark of salvation. And whoever will come into the ark of his salvation through Christ will be saved from the wrath that is to come. Hallelujah. Notice, secondly, he was moved with godly fear. In other words, even though Noah didn't fully grasp with his mind or understand the judgment of God, he knew the character of God. He knew God was both capable and committed to fulfilling his word. And that caused Noah to tremble at God's presence. Later in the book of Hebrews, we're going to be told, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us serve God reverently with godly fear, for a God is consuming fire. Now, as Christians, aren't you glad that we don't have to fear God's judgment? Anyone glad about that? God's judgment has been removed from you, absorbed by Jesus. That is not a fear. His perfect love casts out all fear. So what does it mean? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You and I ought to live our lives in such a way that we recognize God is going to follow through on his word. He is coming back. He is judging the world. And he's asking us now to fear the Lord. And here's the thing about fearing the Lord. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. You see, when you and I are moved with godly fear, you will never be unmoved by the fear of man. I want to challenge you with a question before we move on. It's a question that I think is important for the Christian, especially today. Here's the question. What is the fear of man keeping you from that the fear of God would move you toward? Let me ask you that again. What is the fear of man keeping you from that the fear of God would move you toward. In other words, sometimes the, the one step between apathy and obedience is who you're fearing. Well, I can't go say that thing. I can't go do that thing. I can't go talk to that person. I you know, what are they going to think of me? What are they going to say? What's it going to cost me? That fear of man or circumstances that is rooted in this temporal life might keep you from stepping into something that God is going to use to bring salvation to people. But when I fear the Lord, all of a sudden that obedience becomes easier because I'm, I'm trying to please him and only him. Notice thirdly that God prepared an ark for his family. Noah prepared an ark for his family. I love this because godly fear does move us to action. If Jesus is coming back, if God's judgment is real, I have to ask the question, how am I putting my own household in order? How am I preparing my children and my family to meet the Lord one day? Am I communicating through my actions and my priorities and my words that this world is my home? That the greatest treasures can be found in this life? Or do they see me building an ark? And when I say that, I don't mean a big, strange boat in my backyard. I mean, do, do my kids see me building and preparing my life around the gospel? around the reality of Jesus' return, around his coming judgment. You, you see, and I say this just for myself, and I, I, only because I hope it encourages you, challenges you. My kids are getting older now. I have two daughters that are getting older. And those of you who have raised kids and are now in, in grandkid age or, or stage, you, you know what I'm talking about already. 
But you see the time starting to slip from your fingers. I remember the years when I just thought, it'll always be like this. Always just be this family vacation, always just be these fun, always just be these innocent. And, and now it's changing rapidly. And what it's, what it's provoking in my heart and challenging me as a father is I have a very limited time to prepare and disciple my kids to meet the Lord, to serve the Lord, to know the Lord. What am I doing that they see? I would love for my kids to grow up and say, my dad did some things that didn't make a whole lot of worldly sense, but he did it to keep our eyes on heaven. He did it to help us remember that we have a mission for Christ on this earth that is worth our sacrifice and worth our time and worth our effort and worth our attention. Now is the time, mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, now is the time to prepare those around us to meet the Lord. Number four, notice he condemned the world. Now, be careful when you hear this. It doesn't mean that Noah went around on a witch hunt looking for people he could like slam his Bible across their head, you know. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go condemn people, yeah. No, what's he saying? He's saying, by the very nature of his life and his actions and his words, that he was one in a million that was living by faith, his faith declared the guilt of the unbelieving world. His light exposed their darkness. His truth exposed the deception. And simply by the fact that he was walking uprightly and in righteousness, he was saying it as it was, he was believing God, he was preparing to meet the Lord, he was preparing the salvation of his home, simply by what he was doing and what the other world was not doing was a pronouncement of their condemnation and their guilt. They had the opportunity to receive and be partake in God's salvation and they rejected it. And again, God is not calling us to go out on witch hunts but he is calling us to shine as light in the darkness, to be the salt of the earth, to be the city on the hill that cannot be hidden. And as we live by faith, what does the Bible say? What did Paul say about the gospel? That when the gospel goes in our lives and we carry it around, it becomes an aroma to those around us. The Bible says, to some, it is an aroma of life leading to life. And to some, it is aroma of death leading to death. If you are following Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, by faith, you are going to stink to somebody. I hate to say it to you, I know you don't want to, but you're gonna have some heavenly BO that turns other people off. I just want everyone to like me. I just want everyone to be my friend. I just want to, as if the only way to witness is this passivity where everyone thinks you don't really stand for anything so you're on their side. That's called cowardice. That's called weakness. That is called fear. What God calls us to do is bring the scent of Christ everywhere we go into every relationship, into every community at the Sepsis City Hall when we declare our trust and our faith in God and pray. When we are at work, when we are at home, we are saying contrary to the world. There is one way, one truth, one life. There is righteousness and unrighteousness. There is good and there is evil. And God is the baseline definition of how we find all of it out. You preach it, you live it, get prepared. 
For the world hated Jesus. And Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you also. Ephesians 5 tells us to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And as Noah lived this long-term, right, daily life of faith, putting one, building, praying, preparing, he became an heir of righteousness through faith. In other words, we all have Noah to thank. Thank you, Noah, for being obedient, right? But it reminds me of Romans chapter 3, where the Bible tells us that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is to all and on all who believe. We too are heirs of faith, uh, the heirs of righteousness, not our righteousness, but the righteousness of God that he attributes to us by our faith, by our obedience, driven by our faith in Christ. And Noah teaches us that faith is rarely popular, but it has great reward and great salvation attached to it. Number three, as we move to Abraham, who is the father of faith as he is known. It is Abraham's example that Paul says to those who are of, a- those who are of Abraham are, are, are spiritually children of Abraham through faith, that Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness before the law even existed. You know, the Jews used to brag, we are children of Abraham. And Jesus said, if you were the children of Abraham, you'd, you'd do the works of Abraham. You would have faith in me. You see, Abraham's initial calling into God's promise was not through the law, but through faith, a faith response to God's call. Look at verse eight with me again. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You see, Noah obeyed without seeing. Abraham obeyed without knowing. Notice the three words here we mark for Abraham's positive actions associated with faith is that he obeyed, he dwelt, and he waited. Abraham obeyed, he dwelt, and he waited. And notice the the testimony of Abraham. God spoke to him about getting up and leaving his family and the land where he was from to go to a place, God said, that I will show you. What's funny is that Abraham didn't even know God when he heard God's voice. He was like in this pagan polytheistic land, and yet when he heard God's voice, he chose by faith to believe that that is the only and true God, and I'm going to respond to his command. He obeyed, this is, Abraham obeyed, in the face of not knowing what it might cost him or where it might take him. Think about this. I don't know about you, but I really like to be in control of what's happening next to my life. Is there anyone out there like me? Naturally, I'm not a huge fan, believe it or not, of stepping into the unknown. I imagine Abraham and Sarah had some interesting closed-door conversations. Abraham comes in from the fields one day, hey, hey, sweetheart, Abraham, you seem like you need to say something to me. Well, pack up your bags. We're moving. Why? Because God, the only God, told me to. Okay, uh, where are we going? 
Haven't quite ironed out that detail yet. (laughs) How are we going to get there? Well, we're going to start by just walking down that way. And Abraham, I'm confident that he didn't ignore the details of the journey. Abraham certainly prepared his flocks and his family and his tents and his supplies as best as he could. You see, faith is not the lack of wisdom or preparation, but listen, faith does not depend on knowing the end result before it chooses to obey God. You can plan, you can prepare, you can build, you can use wisdom, but here's the thing. If you need to have all the answers before you say yes to God, you are going to miss out on something that God wants to do in your life. Faith doesn't need to know all the answers before it says yes to God. Too many of us are addicted to the details. We must have our control over the situation. But it's been said truly that faith turns the why into an O. Real faith, in other words, doesn't need to know why when it knows who. It is God who made the promise. It is God who gave the command. It is God who said, as long as I know who it is, I don't need to have all the rest of the answers before I say yes. So he obeyed. Notice, secondly, he dwelt, verse 9, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This blows my mind because once Abraham got to the right place, and the book of Acts says Abraham even had a delayed obedience. Like when he left, he went to Haran, and then he waited there, and then finally he made it to Canaan. But God doesn't see the, some of the missteps, and certainly he had his missteps. <laughs> Keep on telling kings that your wife is your sister. That's certainly a misstep. Not highly recommended, certainly. But even through it all, when Abraham finally arrived, and he's standing in the place, and he looks up, and God says, this is all yours, and it's all for your sons, and it's all for your descendants, which are going to outnumber The stars in the sky. What did Abraham do? Okay, start cutting down the trees, build a palace over there, build a wall over there. No, the Bible says he dwelt in the land of promise as though he was a foreigner, living in tents. I mean, you could imagine it maybe if God said, I'm going to give you, I don't know, I can't think of a good place. I'm going to give you California. Anyone want California? You might not want I'm going to give you California. Get up and go to California. You get up there and you go and you're in there and you just, your whole rest of your life, you're living in an RV, traveling up and down the coast and everyone hates you and everyone's giving you a hard time and you never get a home, you never get a piece of land and everyone's treating you like an outcast, like you're some sort of foreigner. That's the kind of life that Abraham chose to live in the land that God promised him was his. What this speaks to me, of course, as as we look at the application, is that we are all literally in a place of waiting. Amen? The Bible's clear that we too are sojourners and pilgrims on this earth, that we're journeying to heaven, and that this world is not our home. We are literally to dwell by faith in a land that God says, this is yours, this is mine. Do you know that? The world is yours. Really? 
Yeah. Missouri, United States, Russia, the whole world is yours. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that we have been made co-heirs with Christ. What has Christ inherited? He's going to come back one day. He's going to sit on his throne, and the earth in all of its fullness is the Lord's. And his kingdom on this earth, and then the new heavens and the new earth, he shares in the ownership of that with us. This place you're in is yours. But guess what? It's not yours yet. It's not your eternal home right now. Your stuff is not going with you to heaven. All the attachments of this world, yeah, we want to use wisdom, we want to be good stewards, we want to enjoy life. Uh, I'm so grateful that God said, I've given you richly all things to enjoy. What a blessing. But we need to make a choice, as Abraham did, to dwell in the land as intense. Why? Well, the motivation was that, of course, he was waiting He says he waited for the city, the exact words, the city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. That word foundations means to be unshaken. Has anyone in here ever experienced the crumbling of a foundation in this world? I mean, something you were leaning on, depending on, hoping for, relationship, financial, health, physical, and all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, where'd it go? This was there, it was there like last week and now it's gone. Where Abraham was looking forward to the city that God was going to build, whose foundations cannot crumble, whose reality cannot be shaken, where nothing can be stolen and nothing can be corrupted. It's that life of faith in the city that is to come. I mean, without asking, God has given me a a small picture of this. In the past 17 years, I've lived in nine cities, 11 houses, or apartments, served in seven churches, have three children, and by God's grace and her patience, maintained one wife through it all. (laughs) And there are many times I'm flooded with memories of all those places and times and people. Those memories have their appropriate places. Many of them are good and make me smile. I had good moments where God met me in each of those places and in each of those times. Some of those moments I'd rather forget, but they're all part of my life. But here's the thing, one has to be careful with memories and moments, because memories and moments can cause you to long for what's behind you rather than to press forward to what's ahead of you. Do not idolize memories and moments of the past. Do not be Lot's wife who turns around and longs for Sodom and Gomorrah when God says, I have something better for you in the land of promise. Be an Abraham and a Sarah that don't look back after they put their hand to the plow, but press forward to the upward calling of God, believing that ultimately, even if they don't see the promise fulfilled in their lifetime, they will see it because their eternal lifetime is going to be with God. So Abraham was willing to settle for a life of less in order to gain a greater eternal inheritance. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, As it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Let us keep our eyes on those things, church. That's all we have time for on today's edition of The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Flevins. Thanks for tuning in. The Ascending Life is a ministry of Grace Calvary Chapel in St. Joseph, Missouri. 
And our prayer is that today's message from the book of Hebrews impacted your faith journey in a mighty way. If you have any questions about today's message or would like to connect for other reasons, feel free to give us a call at 816-279-2090. That number again is 816-279-2090. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear others like it from Pastor Josh, just visit theascendinglife.com and click on media. You can watch our YouTube channel, read our blog, or listen to our podcast. Or better yet, visit us in person. We meet each Sunday at 8 and 10 a.m. and would love to have you join us. At Grace Calvary Chapel, we believe in awakening people to the love, truth, and power of God. If you're looking for a place where you can experience the love, truth, and power of God, we'd love to be that space for you. All are welcome, so come just as you are. For directions and other information about who we are and what we believe in, visit theascendinglife.com. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram to receive daily encouragement too. Well, that's it for today. But thanks again for tuning in to today's message with Pastor Josh. Join us again next time to learn more from the mighty book of Hebrews right here on The Ascending Life. We're reaching up, we're pressing